I hope you are enjoying your summer. I hope that uh, you've gotten away on a bit of a vacation. I know some of you have. I know some of you have gone to beaches and you've gone to cottages and various things. And some of you are still going off on vacations. And some of you are looking at the calendar and going, I can't believe how fast August is flying by, right? And you're beginning to think about school in the fall and all of those sorts of things. Somebody told me this morning they had noticed leaves starting to turn color. Okay, no, we're going to put that out of our mind for a minute. It's still summer. And the message I would like to give to you this morning is entitled, It Happened at the Beach. And uh, we're going to look at a passage of scripture that did occur at the beach. But uh, I have a confession to make to you that I don't know a lot about beaches. I am a swimmer and I love to swim, but most of my swimming has been done in swimming pools. Uh, But I'm not really, I don't know a lot about beaches. I grew up in south central Alberta where we don't have great beaches. Um, We don't have big lakes. We don't have access to the ocean. And so we didn't have a lot of beaches that I went to as a kid. Oh, we had things that were called beaches, but it was really just a little sandbar beside a big slough is really all it was. And, uh, but one of my memories of uh, beach time was with my sister. So my sister and I, I don't even remember how old we would have been. I might have been about 12, which would put my, my sister at about 10. And we decided that we were going to build ourselves a homemade boat. And we built this boat out of an old uh, galvanized tin uh, sw- um, bathtub that we had on the farm. And we thought, yeah, if we, just, if we do some things with this and, and plug up that hole in the bottom of this, uh, this bathtub, it would make a great boat. And so we, we did this and we took, dragged it out to this old slough on the farm. And I convinced my sister, because she was the lightest of the two of us, that she should go out in the the little boat. And so I got her into the boat, and I pushed her out into the slough, and it began to take on water. Well, I guess we hadn't done a very good job of plugging it up. And it began to take on a lot of water, and pretty soon it began to sink, and it sank right to the bottom of the slough. But don't worry. She just waded to shore. (laughs) It wasn't that deep. But that's about the only experience I have with uh, uh, trying to walk on water or trying to go for a swim uh, at the beach. But sometimes beaches can be places of work as well. For the disciples, at least several of them that were fishermen, not only was the beach a place of maybe enjoyment, but it was primarily for them a place of work. For several of the disciples were uh, fishermen. And so they would go to the beach, not for a good time. They would go to the beach to set out in their boats into a, a big lake, into a lake where they would go fishing and they would bring their catch back to the beach. And so when they were at the beach, it was cleaning the fish, it was fixing their nets, it was repairing their boats. The beach was a place of work. And so today we're going to see an occasion where the disciples had to sort out whether they were having a good time at the beach 
or whether they were uh, doing the work of the beach. So we're going to look at this uh, passage from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. And I encourage you to read along with me in John chapter 1, 1 through 11, where we read there that Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. Bring some of the fish that you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. So this passage is quite an interesting one. It's, as you read there, it's an appearance of Jesus after his resurrection, and it's interesting to see what's going on in the lives of the disciples there. They are, they've been through a lot in the last couple of weeks. These are the same disciples that saw Jesus ride triumphantly into Jerusalem on a donkey. They saw people laying down palm branches in front of him and laying their cloaks in front of him. Then they saw Jesus arrested in that same time frame there. And they've seen him tried and crucified and die. And now they've actually seen him a couple of times already. He's risen from the dead and he's appeared to them, but they're still quite confused. The Holy Spirit has not yet come upon these uh, people, these men, and they have not yet understood everything that's going on. And they're kind of confused. They're trying to figure out, okay, now what do we do? Yeah, Jesus has risen from the dead, but what do we do now? Where do we go? What do we do? And they're trying to figure out, they've, they've figured out how to follow Jesus while he was with them. And for three years, they've been spending time with him, but now they have to learn to follow him when he's not visible to them. And they're really struggling with this. And so they go back to what they know best. Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And a bunch of the others join him. And they say, yeah, let's go fishing. We, we know what to do. Fishing, we know fishing. We can go fishing. We'll, we'll do that. Let's go do that. And seven of them set out to fish. 
It's interesting in this passage, we have the names of some of them and, and names of and not of some of them. And then John identifies himself in the story as one of the disciples and says uh, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is the way he always describes him in the gospel of John. And so we have this group of them that says, yeah, we're going to go fishing. And there was nothing wrong with going fishing. These were men of action. They, they wanted to go and do something. They needed to feed their families. And so to go and get some fish to feed their families, but also to sell was a good idea for them to do that. But Jesus chooses to teach them something in this moment when they go and go fishing. And it's quite, there's moments in this that you just have to think it's got, it had to be a little bit comical. Jesus must have had a chuckle or two about this whole situation. They go out and they fish all night and they catch nothing. Now that would have been probably unusual for these fishermen. They knew how to fish. To catch, they would catch something. They might catch a small catch of fish. But to catch nothing was probably unusual for them. My suspicion is that maybe Jesus planned it that way and actually kept the fish away from the boat, maybe. And so in the wee hours of the morning, after they've been fishing all night, they see somebody on the shore and they're, they're headed to shore and, and they must have been even more dejected. They must have been thinking, oh man, what do we do? We can't even fish anymore. And so as they're headed towards shore, they see somebody on the beach and the person says, hey guys, did you catch any fish? <laughs> He, he uses quite colloquial language here, and he was probably just kind of laughing and saying, hey, guys, did you catch anything? And they said, no. And maybe he said kind of, well, you're doing it all wrong. You've been fishing off the left side of the boat. Why don't you fish off the right side of the boat? Well, that's not really how it works, I'm sure. But they said, okay, let's try it again. Let's throw in the net one more time. And they throw it in, and they catch a huge catch of fish. And John says, hey, I know what's going on here. This is a miracle. That's Jesus. It's the Lord. And he shouts that out to the rest of them. And Peter says, yeah, you're right. And he jumps out of the boat and heads to shore and has a reunion with Jesus on the beach. And when they get there, they discover that Jesus already has fish on the beach He's cooked it for them already. He's cleaned it. He's cooked it for them. Or maybe he just made it appear there miraculously. I don't know. He's got bread there as well. And he's ready to feed them breakfast. And then he says, go get some of those fish you just caught. And bring some of those as well. And then they sit down and they, they have a meal together. Well, Jesus goes on in this passage, and you're probably familiar that this is also the passage where Peter kind of gets reinstated, and Jesus is going to have a private conversation with Peter. But I want to just focus on this, these 11 verses here today, because there's something Jesus is teaching the disciples right here in this moment as well. And he, they must have all thought about the original calling of some of these disciples, some of them were there three years ago, and it was probably the very same spot that they were at where Peter was called to be a follower of Jesus, and James and John were called to be a follower of Jesus. We read about that 
in Luke chapter 5. And so let's, let's compare the two passages. They're very similar. They're both about a miraculous catch of fish. And let's see what Jesus might have been teaching them in both of these incidences. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. And he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them there and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. A little bit of an aside here. I think it's kind of interesting how Jesus used the natural um, situation he was in to preach to the crowd in a better way. He hopped into this boat. He gets Peter to push it out a little ways from the shore. It would have provided a natural barrier so people weren't crowding around him in the same way. His voice would have carried nicely across the water. You know, uh, Phil, I think this is the first example of a tech person in the Bible. I think, I think Peter was the original sound man for Jesus. Okay, maybe that's stretching it a little bit. But he had an opportunity to help Jesus in this moment. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where the water is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. Another situation where they didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and, boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. So notice here, you've got Peter, and you've got the sons of Zebedee, James and John, who are in both of these stories, both at the original calling of these disciples and at this resurrection appearance, we see some of the same players there. Jesus tells them on this day, when he first calls them, that he's calling them to be fishers of people. And he's calling them again at the end of his ministry on earth. And he's saying, I want you to be fishers of people. They're still hung up on being fishers of fish. But he calls them to be fishers of people. What else do we see that's kind of comparable? And what else might he be teaching them? And they might be learning in these two situations. Peter immediately recognizes the miracle that has occurred, and they recognize the miracle that occurred in the resurrection appearance as well. And they, they realize how powerful Jesus is. And Peter bows down before Jesus and repents and says, Jesus, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. Get away from me. But then he follows Jesus. I think Jesus is teaching them. He's teaching us that that's the way we come to Jesus. 
We recognize his power. We recognize our unworthiness. And we bow before him. We repent and we say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And that's where our, our following of Jesus and fishing for people begins. We see that same kind of reverence that they have at the, at the resurrection appearance. They're, they're not even willing to say, you know, who are you, Jesus? Are you a ghost? Because they know who this is. They know this is Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth. And they bow before him in, in reverence in both situations. Second, they need not be afraid. Jesus tells Peter not to be afraid in Luke 5, and he's telling them that he's with them in both situations. And thirdly, they leave everything behind and fish with Jesus. Jesus tells them that they will become fishers of men, fishers of people. He's teaching the same thing that he taught them three years ago. He's teaching them again that they need to rely upon him and become his, his workers, fishers of people. I want to refer to one more passage of scripture that, where we learn about fishing, and then we'll kind of sum this up and talk about what it means for us today. But in Matthew chapter 13, we read again about another occasion of Jesus speaking about the beach. Again, in Matthew 13, verses 47 through 52, we read, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and, and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand all these things? They said, yes, we do. Then he added, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom both new gems of truth as well as old. Jesus teaches them about fishing here. He teaches them about uh, net fishing and how they cap cast a wide net and bring many fish in and sort them at the end of the day. And, and he's teaching them that their job is fishing. It's not sorting. Their job is to uh, bring people in and not sort things. That'll be done at the end of the earth. Jesus says to them, hey, do you believe this? Do you understand this? And they say, yeah, yeah, we understand this. I feel like that's sometimes how I am with scripture. I look at it and I go, yeah, I understand this. But every time I look at it, I feel like I learn something new from it. Have you ever had that experience where you've read that passage of scripture 60 times, but on the 61st time you see something new in there? Jesus is saying, look into my word and, and learn from me what you can learn in this context. So what we learn in this passage is that the fish are gathered and sorted at the end. As fishers of people, we don't do the sorting. That gets done by Jesus and the angels at the end of time. And Jesus reminds us that the first call is still the final call to be fishers of people. What's it mean to be fishers of people? Well, I think it means we cast a wide net. We spend time with people and we talk to them about Jesus. 
We spend time with them and we say, hey, what's God doing in your life right now? And as we see people that God is at work with, we realize those are the good fish that he's calling us to work with. So, what does this have to do with us? What does this mean for us in our day? What are all these fishing uh, analogies about? And where, what does all of this mean for us in our day today? Uh, let's go back to that John chapter 21 passage and let's look at verse 9 again. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. And there were 153 large fish, and yet the net wasn't torn. Jesus says some puzzling things in this. He's saying he's, he's got breakfast on the, on the shore for them. He's already brought fish to that situation. He's already, already cleaned them. He's already cooked them. He's got bread. And then he says, go get some of the fish that you've just caught. As I read that, I'm thinking, well, why does he do that? If he needed more fish, if he, thought, if he thought he needed a few more fish for this big feast, why doesn't he just create more fish out of thin air? He specifically tells the disciples, go get some of that fish that you've just caught there. Who provided the fish anyway? Jesus provided the catch. Jesus provides the fish on the shore. But he wants the disciples to bring something of what they have as well. I think that's kind of how God wants to work with us. He wants us to go and do his work, and yet he's the one providing all of the increase. He says, go and do my work, and I'll provide the increase. And then he says, bring what you've got to this meal that we have together. But then he says, come and have breakfast with me. He wants us to sit down with him and spend time with him. Jesus wants them to go and get more fish. Well, that would take time, wouldn't it? Peter has to go out to the boat. He has to go get more fish. He brings them in. They'd have to clean those fish. They'd have to cook those fish. This was an extended time he wanted to have with his disciples that day. He wanted them to know that they should, could spend some time with him. This is one of those moments where he's asking them to slow down in life and spend some time with him. And so they take their time and have breakfast with him. So what does this mean for us? I think we, from this passage, we learn some of those same lessons. We learn that Jesus is the one who provides for us. He provides the fish and he asks us to bring what we have into his presence as well. And then he tells them that he wants to spend time with them. And he wants to spend time with us as well. What is your beach time looking like for you? When you get to the beach, are you just racing around? Oh, yeah, we're on vacation. I'm, I'm running. And we continue to run around. What are we fishing for in this world? Some of us are fishing for new experiences. Some of us are fishing for the latest experiences of the best places to go. Or we're, we're fishing for the newest consumer products. Or we're, we're fishing for the, latest, the best streaming service for our entertainment. What is it we're fishing for? Have we slowed down enough to hear Jesus 
and to spend time with him. The spiritual director of C.S. Lewis, a man by the name of Walter Adams, said, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never enhances it. And Corey Tenboom says, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Can we slow down enough to have breakfast with Jesus? Can we slow down enough to learn from him what he wants to teach us in every situation? We're going to, we're going to go from this service today. We're going to go out and have a barbecue together. And I encourage you to hang around and, and spend time with others. But spend, to spend time with others and learn from each other about what Jesus might be doing in their life and your life. But that means we also need to slow down in our own lives and spend time with Jesus so we have something to bring to the, to the meal, something to bring to a conversation with others. We're going to spend some time in about a week, uh, a week from tomorrow, we'll spend some time praying together here about this new lead pastor that we're praying will be a good fit for our congregation. And then we're going to spend some time uh, in a congregational meeting in about a week. All of this stuff needs to be in light of us spending time with Jesus and waiting upon him. Can we do that together? Let me pray with us together. Father, we, we want to come into your presence. We want to metaphorically spend breakfast time with you together. We want to spend time with you and learn from you what it is you're teaching us. We want to rest in your presence and not always be racing from one thing to another. Jesus, we know you are the one who provides for our needs. You are the one that makes it possible for us to be fishers of people. Would you guide us and help us to be your people who do your work and bring what we can into your presence? Father, as we look forward to hiring a new lead pastor here in the next weeks to come, would you continue to bless us together? Would you continue to make this a, a great place where you are served and where people are uh, growing together in you? These things we pray in Jesus' name.